Okay, I want to talk about stirring up the waters. Uh, normally, this time of year, um, we like to sort of reflect back on the previous year and set out the vision for the church for the coming year. And uh, But this year, because we've just passed our five-year birthday... As Jubilee Church, on the 3rd of September, we've just passed five years. We did a five-year vision right at the beginning of that, so we want to do another five-year vision. All right, so we're going to be doing that in November, just to give us, as a team, a bit more time. We're going to do a retreat at the end of the month to pray and talk and see what God's saying to us about the next five years. So that gives me the opportunity to do something completely different. Uh, so no vision talk today, but over the next two years, I want to get us to kind of tune in to what God is saying. Two weeks, all right, two weeks. It's just my dream the next two years. Over the next two weeks, uh, I want to get us to kind of tune into what God is saying. I want to step into a prophetic flow, which I think is also going to open up some things for you too. And I want to do some activation at the end for what I believe God is leading us into it. So these next two weeks, I'm calling it a tuning in mini-series, which I want to do from time to time. It's just an opportunity for me just to be prophetic uh, with the church. And so this week, I want to talk about stirring the waters uh, from John chapter 5. Steve Wicking spoke on this back in January, uh, so I don't need to reteach it. Uh, but I want to use John chapter 5 as a kind of picture to talk about some of the things that I've been learning about the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. Just before the summer, we were talking about setting up a culture in a church which the supernatural would be happy to function in. We're talking about a supernatural culture. So I've been thinking a lot about that, the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. And see, in this story, it involves stirring up a pool. And there's a picture I want to use of the presence of the Holy Spirit both inside us and in this church. It's a bit like where we were this time last year. I can't believe it's a year ago when we were talking about thirst. And God spoke to us about thirst, drawing us into his presence. And it's like we've responded to the call of Jesus to drink. And he's placed within us a fountain of living water which is springing up. Okay, it is. There's life here. I hope you know that as a church. There's life here. Uh, Life in one another. The presence of the Holy Spirit is evident. He's active amongst us. Lives are getting changed. But for these waters to stay living and not become still, and even the risk of stagnancy, we need to learn to keep stirring them up. Keep stirring them up. Paul tells Timothy, stir up, he says, present continuous tense. Continually stir up the gift that is in you. And that's what I want to do today. I believe that God wants to stir us up again and for these waters to be deepening and spilling out of this temple like Ezekiel's river. Not just waters to paddle in, but waters of his spirit that take us out of our depth. Is that okay with you? Well, you said yes. All right, so permission to stir, okay. Let's just read the passage. The healing at the pool, John chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. 
Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. And it's surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame and the paralyzed. And um, from time to time, verse 4, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. And the first one who got into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had, verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, when I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. So the first thing we see in this story is this pool. Here's a pool. It is a still pool. It's not bubbling. It's not stirring. Nothing is happening. Actually, it's a leisure pool. That's what it was built for. And it's just outside the Sheep Gate of Jerusalem. Doesn't that sound lovely? And it's surrounded by these five ornate columns and it's covered and they've actually found it and there's a picture of it up on the wall for you. Just outside the Sheep Gate, funnily enough, of Jerusalem. And it's a place where essentially people could shelter from the heat. I've just come back from France, sitting in 39 degrees, you need shelter. And it's even hotter in some of these places. But sitting there nicely to to shelter and to bathe. And this place was called Bethesda, which means house of mercy. So it's a place of shelter and protection. It was a provision for the community a place of rest, a place to relax. But over the years, this house of mercy had developed another purpose. It was filled with the desperate, the sick and the dying. And the reason for this seems that at certain times there was a kind of supernatural stirring of the pool and people believed that if they got into the water when this happened, they'd be healed and amazing miracles would occur. But until this happened, people would just lie around waiting Nothing much happening, getting disappointed, some dying there, some giving up and leaving the pool and finding somewhere else to die. It was a hopeless place and it was full of helpless people. And I've just been thinking about this and realising that tragically this can be a picture of how church can be. You know, a still pool where people lie around and not much happens for a long time. You know, some of that initial stirring and excitement goes and things start to settle. I've been to places like that. I've been to some of those churches. There are many around where people continue to meet week after week. They're going through the motions and the traditions of their church, but nothing much happens. And people just get older, sicker, and eventually they die, and the church dies with it. It's tragic. And I'm not just talking about individual local churches either. I mean, you've just got to look back over the history of the church. You know, for many years after that initial rapid spreading of the gospel, there was a period in the church history when not a lot happened. 
And so things became established and formalized and structured. And as you look back, it's like the rising and the falling of the water levels. There are these great revivals with people like Jonathan Edwards, Charles Wesley, Charles Finney, and whole nations are affected and missionaries get sent out. And it seems like the world is going to change, but then not a lot happens afterwards. And then there was the time of the healing evangelists, people like John G. Lake, Catherine Coleman, Smith Wigglesworth, even John Wimber, the man of power for the hour season. <laughs> Messengers like the angel of the Lord in this story would come and stir the waters again. Some people would get touched, some would get healed, and some miracles would break out. And so the water levels would rise, but then they would fall again, and not a lot would happen. And so the desperate people in these houses of mercy called the church all around the world would start to cry out, Lord, move again, please, will you stir the waters? And then there came the prophetic movement, John Darnell, Paul Cain, Mick Bickle, the so-called Kansas City prophets who came, and some of whom went. Then the revivalists, the word of faith movement, and so on. And you just look back over church history and you see these rises and falls, these pioneering men and women who'd be raised up for time, stir the water, great stuff would happen. And I'm not knocking it. These are fantastic things in our history. And we need to research these things. We need to continue to be inspired by them. And if you look back over the last hundred years, a lot has happened in the church. A lot of things have been restored. And I believe that in all the rises and the falls of the water level of God's spirit over the years, there's been a rising. More rising than falling. More happenings than not. And certainly more today than was happening even 30, 40 years ago in the church. You know, more miracles are occurring. More healings are taking place. More people at this time in history are becoming Christians than any other time in the rest of history. Some amazing things going on. And I believe this not just because of what I see and even what I experience, but because this is what God said would happen after the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. As Ezekiel saw all those years ago, the river gets deeper as it goes further. Amazing. That's what we're seeing. Those are the days that we're living in. But at the same time, I think we are living in a different season now. And Jesus said, didn't he? He said, you need to learn to recognize the times and the seasons. You know, the days of the one man or one woman ministries are over. Not that there won't be people who will be raised up to inspire and stir us, but we're in a different season. We're living in the days of the body of Christ, whereas John Wimber once famously said, I think prophetically, but he certainly started, he says, look, everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to do the stuff. Those are the days we're living in. The body of Christ functioning together. It's like I felt God say to me earlier this year that it's no longer in the season of the restoration of the church and the gifts of the Spirit. This has happened and it's been established. It's about the increase of the kingdom of God everywhere and it involves everyone and we all have a place to play, a part to play. But there is a problem, a challenge for us. 
Because sitting near the pool is a man. John calls him the invalid. And he can't help but read that word and think invalid. There was this man lying there, invalid, for 38 years. He said he was desperate for a moving of the waters. But when it was moved, somehow he could never get in on time. It's like he'd found the right meetings to go to, but he could never get there on time. And there was nobody around who could give him a lift. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. You've just felt like, I missed out. And this had been happening to him for 38 years. I mean, can you imagine how many times he must have just felt like giving up? How he must have struggled, how disillusioned he must have become with this pool. How frustrated, how critical he could have become. Seeing it happen for others, perhaps, but not for him. To see others make it, but not him, he missed out. Now, for me, I've always struggled slightly with the fact that I missed out completely on the move of the Spirit in Toronto. Missed it completely. I was in a different kind of church setting and the only thing I ever heard about Toronto was bad stuff. So I ignored it. We even were on holiday in Toronto at the time of the moving of the Spirit and we didn't go to any of the meetings. We had no idea. And I've often looked back and said, oh, I missed out. Wrong meeting, wrong time. I've missed out, God. don't know if you've ever felt like that. I mean, perhaps for you, Like us, it was the church that we were in at the time. It just didn't work out. Or it was the stage of life. Maybe you're in that stage of life now. I just feel like I'm missing out on so much. I've got these kids to look after. I've got all these responsibilities. (laughs) Do you know, it doesn't last long. I feel old when I say it, but it's true. It just doesn't last long. It feels forever when you're going through it. You know, those times in in your career, you just don't have the time to commit. Or maybe it's even your theology, the theology that you've had. It's not for me. God uses other people. They've got to be pastors or leaders or somebody. It's not for me. And you've just missed out. You've never felt equipped or released into all that you could be in God. You know, maybe you've been a Christian for many years. You've even come from a Christian family, but somehow you've been invalidated, invalided, unused, ill-equipped, lying around for so many years, bored even. Church is something you go to, but outside of that, nothing much happens. Why do I even go? Well, you know what happened to the man in the story? See, Jesus comes to him and asks him a question. He says, what do you want? Do you want to get well? What do you want? Do you want to get up out of the dust? What do you want? Do you want to walk as you were meant to? Use the legs that God has given you? the talents, the gifts, all that you've got to offer? Do you want to go somewhere in God? Do you want to do something? Do you want to see something you've never seen, never experienced before in God? Do you want a miracle? So Jesus is saying, what do you want? I 
And I just believe that Jesus is here today asking the very same question of us. Each one of us. No one is excluded because everyone gets to play. What do you want to see? What do you want? What do you want me to do for you, Jesus says? What do you want to see happen in your lifetime? What are you asking for? Do you want to see the waters move? (laughs) Do you want to see some miracles? Do you want to see the angel of the Lord who comes down and stirs the water? Do you? You know, we were singing at the beginning, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Is that what you want? Do you want to see? It's a serious question. And in the context of the story, I think it's kind of an offensive question. I think the man should have been offended. What do you want? Can't you see? Lord, can't you see I'm here, aren't I? I've been here for 38 years. Jesus, look at me. It's me. I've been waiting here. And what do you think I want? You want to think I want to sit here any longer and waste the rest of my life? I've wasted 38 years already. You know, I've been to all the prayer meetings. I've been to the conferences. I've bought the videos. I've even, when nobody's around and nobody's looking, I've put my hand on the TV screen and tried to receive that anointing that they're talking about. Are you really not seeing me, Jesus? And what I want. You'd think that, wouldn't you? You'd think that he would have been offended. But he wasn't. Actually, when he speaks, he reveals the state of his heart and he shows us that he's not offended at all. What is he? He's defensive. Read the passage. It says, verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. And when the water is stirred, and when I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. You know, there's no one to help me. There's somebody else always ahead of me. It was a stage beyond offended. You know, at least if people are offended, they've got some fight left in them. You know? Sometimes the way of breakthrough for somebody is to offend them. I don't know if you realize that, to confront them. He wasn't even offendable. He'd gone beyond that. He was way beyond that. It was a kind of acceptance. Well, this is the way it is. I've been here all this time. I've seen a few things. I've heard a few things. I've heard about revival. I've seen all the prayers that have been done. I've been to all the meetings, and it's not happened. But you know, that's the way it is. Yeah? Yeah? He says this, he says, there's no one to help me. He rationalized his experience. Well, this is why it's never happened for me. And, you know, you can understand why he says this. I'm not being harsh with this man. You can understand why he said it. He'd been an invalid for 38 years. It had made him very dependent on people. 38 years of sickness. I'm not criticizing the man. 
But what do you want the next 38 years if that's what you and I have got? What do you want those next 38 years or whatever you've got to be about? What do you want of your life in God? What do you want it to be? Do you want it to be about other people and what they've failed to do for you? You know, if only I'd had the more attention, if only I'd had the right teaching, the right leaders, if only I'd been in a different church, if only I'd been married to the right person, if only I'd been married. Is that what you want it to be about? You know, I hope you do have all the help that you need. I I genuinely hope that we are going to be a great church for you. (laughs) That we are going to be a great church for one another together. I really do. I really want that. But in the end, you know, or if it's another church, that's okay too. But in the end, you've got to take responsibility for your life And you have to learn to feed yourself and get stuff from God. God dealt with me on the Toronto thing. I've still been moaning about it. Lord, if only I'd... I was reading Heidi Baker's story. Oh, look what she got. If only I'd, you know, who knows what could have happened. And I felt God say to me, get over yourself. Get it from me direct. If you missed out, you've been overlooked, not had the opportunities. The same for you. Get over yourself and get it from God. He's got so much for you. What do you want the next 38 years of your life to be? You know, if we're going to have any part in the stirring of the pool in our lives, then we're going to have to take some responsibility and take some courageous steps. Life is short. You know, I've been around people who've been disappointed. I've been around people who've been disillusioned and filled with regret. Their whole life is marked by regrets of decisions they didn't make 20, 30 years ago. You've been around those kind of people. I don't know, and these kind of people have been a sort of parable to me in the decisions that I've made in my own life. So, for example, here is the spiritual motivation that I had for giving up my career in the law and working for the church. Here is the ultimate motivation that got me. It's this. What would I regret most when I look back in 20 years' time? Having a go and making a mistake or not having a go and always wondering what might have happened. Alison will tell you, that's a genuine thing. That was how we made the final decision. Coming to Solihull, what would we regret the most? I'm so glad we came. Wouldn't have known all of you. (laughs) You can say it back if you like. But what do you want the rest of your life to be about? The other thing that the man's response revealed is somebody else. Somebody else always gets in there. 
He says, while I'm trying to get in, someone else gets down ahead of me. And it's one of the biggest underminers of godly ambitions and and desires. It's comparing yourself to other people. Someone else always gets there. They got there first. They got to do it before I did. They were asked, I wasn't. They're cleverer, more eloquent, braver, better looking, just better than me. I hate them. Okay, do you ever get like that, you know? Some of these people, he's only 23, and look what he's doing. <laughs> and just think, oh my goodness, where have I been all my life? I'm around those kind of people. And I just think, oh my goodness. I'm one of the oldest now, you know? I'm only 46. But none of them think I am. They think I'm loads younger. It's really cool. But anyway. <laughs> but you get into this place where you start to compare yourself to other people. And what happens the next 38 years, you stay in the same place. Because you never took the risk to find out what might have happened just because somebody seems to have been better qualified. Now, are you going to let what other people think of you or what you think about them stop you from getting into all that God has for you? Are you? You know, Jesus is standing here today asking you, what do you want? (laughs) So what do you want? I love the fact, you know, that I'm so glad the way that Jesus... I've thought about this a lot, this interaction with the man. Why didn't Jesus say... Oh, you of little faith. Don't you know who I am? He didn't. Actually, it says later on, the man had no faith at all. He didn't even know who Jesus was. And Jesus said, get up. Do you want to get well? Get up. It doesn't rebuke him. It doesn't condemn him. It doesn't criticize him or challenge his lack of faith. He says to the man, what do you want? So what do you want? You know, Jesus asked me this question recently. He asked me this question. And, you know, I've been around the charismatic world. I've been around churches for quite a few years now. So I knew the right answer, okay? I knew just what to say. Yes, I know what to say, Jesus. You're asking me what I want. Here's what I want. This is going to be good. Lord, for myself, for the church here, for the Midlands, for the world... I want the same thing that the man wanted who'd waited those 38 years. A kind of blame-shifting defensiveness, I realised, as he gently led me through this question. I said, Lord, I want to see a moving of the Spirit. Lord, I want to see the waters stirred. I want a great outpouring. I want a flood of revival. And so I went on. I'm well-trained. I know all the ways to pray. You know the kind of stuff. But it was his reply that pulled me up short. And it was his reply that drew me back to this passage. He says, listen to this, this is really important. He says, if you want a moving of the Spirit, then move. You are full of the Holy Spirit. And when you move... He said, the Spirit moves with you. If you want a moving of the Spirit, then move. You're full of the Holy Spirit. And when you move, the Spirit moves with you. In step, you're in Him. He's in you. 
Don't be passive. Don't wait for something from heaven, he said. Don't blame others for your lack of opportunity. Don't make excuses. Don't do nothing. Move. How do you move? And he said to me, tell your church, if you together want an outpouring of the Spirit, if you want to see miracles, then learn how to move together. And the Spirit moves with you. You've been given favour and authority in this community. That's what he said to tell you. Do you know, if we want to see a moving of the Spirit, we're going to need to learn how to move together. We're going to need to learn how to move with the Spirit, to move the Spirit, and to pray and to intercede like you've never done before. We want to see breakthrough, and we want to see the Spirit move. He moves when we pray and when we speak. That's not to say that there won't be revivals in the future, there won't be outpourings, but I believe we're in a new season where the Spirit is ready to move with us. So how does it work? How does it work? How does the Spirit move? Well, I want to just demonstrate something. Des, could you stand up? I just want to bless Des. And as I bless Des, the Holy Spirit's going to stir in him. Just bless you, Des. Just blow on you. Say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's on him right now. Can you feel the Holy Spirit on you, Des? Holy Spirit. Does anybody else want some? Just as you reach out, you move the Spirit. As we reach out, we just bless people. I bless you, Darren. Take authority over all that would come against you and bless you in Jesus' name. Just as we move, just as I move, the Spirit moves with me. The reason he doesn't often is because we don't move. We're waiting for something to happen. We'll do some more of that in a minute. Okay. But you know, that's what Jesus did. That's how the waters were stirred. He moved toward the man and the spirit in him moved with him. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Three things he saw, he learned, he asked. Simple. He moved towards the man and the spirit moved with him and he was healed. If you want a moving of the Spirit, then move. Move out in the Spirit. Stir up the gift that's in you. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Then the Spirit moves with you. It's simple. We don't need to make excuses or compare ourselves to other people. God is for us. Jesus is with us. And his Spirit is on us. I'll say that again because I want a hallelujah. (laughs) I can't say it again. God is for us. Jesus is with us. And his Spirit is on us. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on us. I'm moving the Spirit now. That's what preaching is about. Corporate moving of the Spirit. Come on. (laughs) Exhortation, that's what it's about. Corporate moving of the Spirit. Prophetic words, prayer, praise. Corporate moving of the Spirit. When we move together, the Spirit moves with us and we have incredible authority. You know, this has been impressed upon me time and time again that no miracles happen without taking steps of faith. (laughs) It's kind of obvious, isn't it? Healings don't occur unless we pray for the sick. Nobody gets saved unless we take the gospel to them. There are exceptions to all of those rules. But generally speaking, it's when we move. 
One of the reasons or the excuses, I should say, <laughs> I gave to Jesus was about fear, about the need for courage, and feeling that I was stepping out on my own, that I was feeling vulnerable. You know, I know you guys think I'm really brave and stuff, and when I step out, I, I shake in my boots. It's scary. If I step out and bring a prophetic word, I, I might get it wrong. If I step out and say, do you know God's doing this? And it, it's a step of faith. It takes courage. Alison will tell you, I've been really nervous today just because I knew what I needed to step out today. That's okay. I'm up for that. I'm not saying it for you to feel sorry for me. But I often would feel vulnerable, and that's when I started to think about verse 4. Verse 4 says about this angel of the Lord who had come down and stir the waters. Now, the translators don't know exactly, but it seems that this verse was added in to explain something that probably the original readers would have already known. It was reputed to be the case that these miracles would take place and that an angel was involved. Now, whether that was just a superstition or true, we don't know. But what we do know is that angels are instrumental in bringing heaven down to earth. Did you know that? It's in the Bible. They are sent to minister to us and they will often be stewards of the miraculous. Let me tell you something that happened in France. You want another story? Are you getting bored yet? I don't know what the time is. Something happened in France this summer. We were staying uh, in a barn conversion in the south of France. You know, it's great. And uh, But we, we were staying in the grounds of a house called Mass Jubilee. How cool is that? God's given us a house in the south of France. I tried to convince them of that, but they weren't so sure. <laughs> but we didn't know very much about the couple who owned the house. We knew that they were Christians, but they were just really excited that a leader from a Jubilee church had come to their house. One particular morning, I felt drawn out into the garden to pray, and I sat on the bench near the gateway. And... Uh, Much to my surprise, I had a a very clear vision of a large angel standing by the gateway. I could tell you how he was dressed, exactly where he was and how he was standing. I saw his, his features and the expression on his face. And I've seen angelic and sensed before, but this was very clear. And, uh, funny thing was, he was kind of leaning against the wall. Looked quite cool, you know, <laughs> kind of leaning against the wall. But he looked really bored. And I was a bit surprised by this. I've never seen angels just standing around, not doing a lot. They're always doing something, you know. I don't know if you know that the last two weeks there's been like a breeze blowing across, just we could feel it on the front here, like a breeze being blown. We looked and there's no windows open and somebody told me they saw two angels standing on the stage waving their wings over the church as we worshipped. And today it got really hot in the worship, so I don't know where they were today. We could have done with them. (laughs) But this angel, he was just standing there looking bored. And I said, Lord, why have you shown this to me? And I felt the Lord say to me, he says, I want you to pray for the recommissioning of this angel and the ministry that he has in the place, which I then did. I didn't know what to do about that. I didn't know whether to tell the owners. 
or what they'd think if I told them, or would they understand, would they think I was crazy. In any, ad- in any event, later in the day, we ended up having a conversation which I completely misunderstood because I wasn't listening properly. It's a male thing, apparently. <laughs> I thought they were talking about angels, and they weren't. They were talking about, I don't know what, but they weren't talking about angels. So I just, oh, have you seen the angel at the gate then? And then there was this silence. <laughs> anyway, we explained, and they were so encouraged. It turns out that uh, they explained that they'd had to bring their jubilee type of ministry to a close because of financial difficulties. And they closed up and gone back to England to earn some money. But they'd regularly prayed that there would be angels at the gate. And since coming back home, we've heard that they've decided, after the Jubilee pastor visited, to relaunch the ministry. And they've also received some financial provision, which we also prayed for. They received the sum of 50 euros, which if you know what the Bible's about, it's 50 is the sign of Jubilee. In addition, I'm told that a mysterious fragrance has been experienced in the garden where the angel stands. Are you okay with this? You know, none of us are alone. We're surrounded with a great company of heavenly hosts. We can see this, can't we, from Jacob's vision in the Old Testament. The angels are constantly ascending and descending on assignment to and from heaven across the earth. This has really impacted me. Well, if they're up to something, we need to know what they're up to. If we're serious about heaven coming to earth and partnering with the supernatural, you better learn about this stuff. And there's lots I'd like to say about the ministry of angels, but no time today except this. I wouldn't want any of the angels on assignment around Jubilee to be standing around bored because we are lying around waiting for something to happen and we're not growing in courage and steps of faith. Amen? What do you want? The final phrase that Jesus uses in this story is get up. Jesus responds to the man's desire and tells him to get up and he's instantly cured. You know, in a church, that's, we're, we're a church that's only been going around for five years. And as I look around the church, I see very few invalids. God's really blessed us. We're pretty healthy as a church, talking spiritually. But you know, unless we keep provoking and stirring one another, the risk is that we settle and become leisure pools. Kind of nice environment, a lovely culture that people like to come and be in. It attracts other people who want to come and sit with us and shelter in our house of mercy, but you know, not a lot happens. But it's a nice place to be. You know, we need, as I heard this week, to be rivers, not ponds. In a church where there's good teaching, And great worship, this is a risk for us, always receiving and growing fat on the goodness that's here, but no outlet or flow from here. I don't want us to become a pond. You know, so often we've had prophetic words about a river running through us, yeah? I believe that's what God has for us. A temple that leaks into the community. So let's stir up the gift. Let's provoke and encourage one another. And I want to ask you, I'm serious about this. Will you do it for me too? Will you, if I start getting too tame, will you challenge me? 
I don't want to get tame. I don't want us to get tame, not taking steps of faith. Oh, our time's almost gone. It has actually gone. But I just want to give us a moment, really, to move in response to this word. If you believe this is a word from God, I want you to just respond to it right now. If you believe, if God has spoken to you, I want you to just stand with us right now. If God's just challenged you, I want you to just stand. It's not for me, it's it's about him. And in your standing, you've moved something. I believe that. I want to see a moving of the spirit, then move. (laughs) Why don't you just start to move in your spirit right now to God? Just start to speak out to him. Just move towards him. That's how we move in the spirit. Just start to move in the spirit now. Just speak out in tongues. Speak out in your language. Sing. Just move your heart towards him. Thank you, Jesus. (sighs) Holy Spirit, come. Meet us. Holy Spirit, come. Unblock every well. Now, in Jesus' name, let the flow increase. Lord, would you deal with disillusionment and disappointment, those that have been waiting for so many years. Lord, you're so tender with us. You don't rebuke us. You don't condemn us. But Lord Jesus, will you let... Lord, we want the waters to flow. I want the waters to flow. Lord, I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see the miracles break out because I've stepped out. We've stepped out together. And we will pray for the sick when they come, Lord. We will. Lord Jesus, you want to see a moving of the Spirit, not because we're waiting for a thunderbolt from heaven. You've already given us all that we need. Jesus, we want to move towards you right now. Glory to your holy name. Praise your holy name.